On today's episode of Do Loss, five reasons to be glad when bad things happen in your church. I'm Levi Bimba, and this is Do Loss. So we know life in a fallen world is not always going to go well, even inside of the church, where the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. But the good news is that all things do work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purposes, Romans eight twenty eight. So there is perfect uh, hope in even the bad things that happen in life. And there are five good reasons, five reasons, like I said, to be happy when bad things happen. And we're going to jump right into them right now. The number one reason, or not the number one reason, but a reason out of the five to be happy when bad things happen in your local church is that it helps you grow in certain easily overlooked spiritual disciplines. For example, it'd be like the principle of getting both sides of a story before making a final judgment on it. He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Proverbs eighteen thirteen says, so as difficult and as time consuming as it is to probably hear both sides of an issue to try to rectify what's true, what's not, what actually happened, what didn't happen. Um, it's worth doing it because it's the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So if we care about Christ, we care about the truth. And if we care about the truth, we care about getting both sides of a matter before we handle it uh, or before we, put, we hand down a final judgment. Just four verses later in Proverbs eighteen seventeen, this is in the LSB version, the first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. Again, the story can sound so good the first time you hear it around and it seems like it's an open and shut case. And then you hear the other side of the story and you're like, oh, it's not so open and shut uh, as much as I thought it was. But that's basic spiritual disciplines that sometimes these things really do get overlooked until controversy and, and, uh, and, con- and conflict happen within a church. Another one of these basic principles that gets easily overlooked is returning to the basics of the Christian life. What is repentance, as the Bible talks about in Matthew four seventeen? What is forgiveness? What is reconciliation? Uh, are these things always required? And uh, how do we work these things out? What, what do they actually look like? And how should they be applied to our own lives as Christians? Because these are all commanded of us to know and to do regularly within the Christian life. So how, what did the, and it's so easy to overlook them because we hear about repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation all the time as being Christians. But what, what does it actually look like? What, why are these terms so important? And why do we hold fast to them as Christians? And you can see that actually in a video that I did on Donald Trump explaining why he's not a Christian based on the fact of repentance and forgiveness and, and a little bit of reconciliation. But you can look at that video up here in the, in, the, in the box. But that's number one. So one of the reasons to be glad when bad things happen in your church is that it helps you to grow in easily overlooked spiritual disciplines. Number two, it reveals the strength of your faith and that of your fellow brothers and sisters. Like I started off the show by saying Romans eight twenty eight, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. Now, that's easy to talk about when things are going well. It's easy to talk about when things are going smoothly and you're having a good time. You're having great friends. You're loving one another. Family issues are going fine. And, and so it's easy to talk about those things until controversy strikes until conflict strikes and then it really tests do i really believe this verse do i really believe what this what the bible is telling me to do and even in first corinthians eleven nineteen, when paul was writing to this church that was a true church but full of a lot of false apostles false miracles full of uh, sexual immorality full of uh, envying and division and all kinds of things that were going on in the midst of all that paul writes a really weird verse at least weird on the surface in first corinthians eleven nineteen, and this is in the lsb version legacy standard bible for there must also be factions or sects or divisions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. 
So Paul is saying, even though there are factions among you, even though these things are not good, they're not of God because God calls us to unity. They must happen so that we can see who is approved and that and seeing who is approved. It's made it's made evident, made obvious who we should trust, who should be looked to as leaders and who we should trust as far as their doctrine is concerned. Another one of these uh, uh, verses that comes to mind regarding uh, revealing the strength of faith of our faith and the faith of our fellow brothers and sisters is that in James 1, 2 through 4, he writes, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, so that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So James doesn't say, even when you fall into diverse trials, diverse temptations, various trials, whatever the, whatever version you may be using, he doesn't say, just know that you're the trying your faith works patience. He says, count it all joy. It should be a joyous thing to go through, knowing that your faith is now being tried and patience is now being exercised in you so that you can grow in your uh, patience with one another, growing your patience with issues that take place within your own life when, as family or as a church or especially um, with the world. When, when you see the world going downhill, it really tries your patience. It really tries your patience, your patience as far as anger, as far as love is concerned. And so when we go through these different trials and these temptations and these difficult circumstances, it really is a test of our, of our faith. Are we going to grow in our patience? Are we going to grow in our long suffering? Are we going to grow in our repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation? All of these things that we can, that we don't do perfectly as Christians, but are we going to grow in that? Are we going to really allow our faith to be tested and come through on the other side? Like James says, lacking nothing, wanting nothing, which is good. It's good. That's why trials are good because it grows us and it pressurizes us and it really tests whether or not our faith is as good as gold, as the saying goes. So the number three reason uh, to be glad when bad things happen in your church. Again, it's kind of an oxymoronic statement, but we should be glad when bad things happen because this is and this is another reason. It forces you to consult what the scriptures say. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. It's, uh, and, uh, and Psalm, the book of Psalms, 150 chapters, longest book in the Bible. This whole chapter, 176 verses are devoted to the law of God and, and its value and its and its insights and how it helps in various aspects of life. But in verse 71 of Psalm, 1, Psalm 119, it says, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. So the psalmist is saying there that even though affliction is, doesn't feel good to our flesh, he's saying it's good for us so we can learn the statutes of God. We don't really learn and understand the sovereignty of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the wrath of God until we experience different circumstances in life that really uh, grips us and helps us to understand the reality of how serious life is and, and what love is and what forgiveness is and what reconciliation is. And until we go through affliction, we may not really learn and understand what the law of God says about those things. So it's good for us that we get afflicted so that we can learn and consult what the scriptures are telling us. And uh, for another example on that, um, when the when Paul had been started had started to preach the gospel, he was a new apostle called by Christ. He was persecuting the church first, but then God, in His grace, saved him and 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 revealed Jesus to him, and 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 Jesus personally called Paul to the ministry. Even though he was a new apostle and had been established and given the right hand of fellowship by the church and the other apostles at this time, in the book of Acts it says uh, Acts seventeen verses ten through eleven it says, and the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So this apostle, who, who had been affirmed by Peter, you know, you could say the original apostles, Peter and James and John, had been affirmed, Paul had been affirmed by them to preach and to teach in the name of Christ. And yet, these new, these new believers who are hearing this, uh, uh, this approved apostle 
teaching doctrine, they still went to the scriptures to verify that what, whatever Paul was saying was so, that, to verify it with the authoritative word of God to find out whether or not what Paul's teaching was right, with, in, was in accordance with sound doctrine. And so when we go through affliction, it should force us to go to the Bible, because even if the doctrine of an, of an approved apostle should be tested by the scriptures, how much more so all the afflictions that we go through should be tested by the scriptures to figure out exactly if what is happening is right or wrong. We have to go to the scriptures because inside of our own self and inside of our own emotions, the Bible even says our heart is deceitful above all things and, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So we have to consult the objective, verifiable, tested word of God to, to ensure that we are getting a right, objective, truthful lens on a matter that presents us within the church whether that's through affliction or, or any, any other thing in life. You, you consult the word of God because God is infinite. He's uh, holy. He's righteous. He's just. His, his word is, is complete and sufficient for all that you need, including any afflictions that you go through, especially within your local church. So the fourth reason that you should be glad when bad things happen in your local church is that it, it unites true brothers and sisters in the truth. Jesus praying to the Father before he was going to die on the cross in John 17 Verse 17, he says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Every single Christian who wants to become more holy, who wants to become more like Christ, has to do it through the word of God. There's no other way to be holy. There's no supernatural experience that douses you in holiness. There's no other means by which you can get attain holiness. It, it starts by first putting your faith in Christ, by repenting of your sin, by turning to, to God and understanding that you're a sinner and, and in need of his grace. And the only way that you can be forgiven of your sin is for Christ to have died and paid for the penalty of those sins so that God can grant you eternal life through uh, repentance and faith in Christ. So once you do that, then as you grow in holiness, as you grow in your obedience to God, you have to know what his law says. You have to know what his word says. So if you're going to be sanctified, if you're, if you're going to be made more holy, if you're going to be set apart for the service of God, then you have to know what God's law is, what God wants you to do. And the, way, and the only way to do that is to read his word. And that's why Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And Paul writing in the, to the Ephesians in, verses, uh, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 in the LSV version, again, he says, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling which, with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And just to stop right there, there's four elements that Paul brings out there regarding how you can maintain unity and be diligent to maintain unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. He says, humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. Humility, thinking of others better than yourself, realizing that you are nothing but a worm, a sinner, someone who was, dest who, who was destined for hell. Uh, but by the grace of God and the Christ, he saved you and rescued you from that just punishment that you and I deserved. Uh, we need to be gentle, meaning we, we don't uh, rough, run roughshod over people with our own opinions, with our own minds, with our own thoughts. Now, do we confront sin? Do we confront ungodliness in one another's lives? Yes, that's what we're commanded to do. Gentleness doesn't mean you never confront somebody in their sin, but it does mean that you do it in a spirit of humility and meekness, realizing that you are a sinner yourself and are susceptible to the same sins that your brother or sister is as well. Patience. Are you going to be long-suffering as God is long-suffering toward us? Speaking from my own personal experience, 26, 20, 26 years on this earth, God fed me, clothed me, gave me great parents, great sisters, uh, a lot of good friends, a lot of good education. All of that time, I was sinning, re willfully sinning against him, rebelling against him, even growing up in the church, not really knowing why I'm a Christian, but just doing it because my parents wanted me to, and it was a good way of life, and it was, it was you know, good morality to adhere to, but not really born again, not really, not really serving God from the heart. But God, all throughout those years, up until he saved me, was still granting me 
food, clothing, all of those good things I mentioned. And so how much more can we be patient with other people when God was patient with us, when he had every right each day I sinned to send me to hell, but he didn't. He kept me alive and sustained me. So how much more can we have patience with other brothers and sisters that may wrong us or, or harm us or sin against us constantly? As Jesus says in the Gospels, if your brother sins against you seven times in one day and turns and says, I repent, you must forgive him seven times in a day. If somebody sinned against us twice in a day, we're never going to talk to them for the next two, three years. That's how we normally would operate. But the, the standard is repent and forgive and reconcile the same day, seven times in a day, if necessary, Jesus says. Uh, and then Paul also talks about how it's, we need to bear with one another in love. Now, for example, it's easier to walk down the street, you know, with your normal clothes, with uh, some shoes, some Nikes or whatever that you that you bought to go running or, or walking. And that's easy. But if somebody puts a 30 pound box on your head or a 50 pound box on your head and tells you to keep walking, that it's going to get harder. You have to bear that burden a lot more. T- you're going to have to strengthen your legs, strengthen your body, strengthen your back a lot more to be able to bear with that burden. And this is what kind of what Paul is calling us to do. Bearing with one another in love is not going to be easy. It's not going to be, love is not something that is a simple emotion that you just uh, wake up one day, you feel like you're going to love somebody, you're going to love them. No, loving is a a decision of the will to not have any ill will, any evil speaking, any anger towards somebody, even while they are angering or annoying or getting on your nerves, even if they're doing it maliciously, you still bear with them in love, knowing that, again, they are sinners just like you are. And you can only you can only uh, attest to the goodness of God in your life because of God's mercy is because of uh, because of his grace in, in showing you eternal life and, and, sh- and giving you eternal life. So if we're going to keep humility, gentleness, patience and bearing with one, with, with one another in love. Then we'll be able to be diligent to keep the unity, unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, as Paul, ta- as Paul talks about in Ephesians four. And then he continues, he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So again, as a local church, as a, as a, as a body of believers, we are all one in Christ, whether we're in the same building or not, we're still one and we're members one of another and God is in all of us. And that's why we need one another to become more and more like Christ, because we have different gifts, different manifestations of the gifts within our body, within our, within our persons. And we need one another to come together in unity so that we can all grow and mature to become more like Christ each and every day. And we can't do that apart from one another. This is why Paul says you need to be diligent to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And you can't do that if you're not willing to show humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. So that's the fourth reason to be glad when bad things happen in your church is that it unites true brothers and sisters in the truth. And that truth is obviously found in Jesus, mediated through the word of God given to us in the 66 books of the Bible. So the last reason, uh, the, the number five reason at least, to be glad when bad things happen in your local church is that it gives an opportunity for correction or improvement in church governance and or clarification of doctrine. And we see a couple of good examples of, uh, of this in the young church in Acts. When we go to Acts chapter six, verses one through seven, and this is in the LSB, and it says, now in those days, while the disciples were multiplying in numbers, so they were preaching the gospel, souls, souls were being saved, people were being added to the church, the church, the church was growing exponentially after, at the apostles, after the apostles were preaching. There was grumbling from the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So this obviously, uh, this, the assumption is that this is a true statement, that there, this actually was going on. And that the Hellenists or the Greeks were not being treated as fairly as the Hebrews, which, again, James, if you read the book of James, he condemns partiality in James chapter two. We are not to be partial on how we treat one another, especially when we're one in Christ. Neither man nor female, bond or free, uh, slave or slave or free. 
uh, we are all one in Christ, Galatians 3.28 says. So there should be no partiality at all going on in the church and treating people differently based on who they are, what they've done. That's all gone if you are in Christ. And so because these widows were being overlooked, this problem need to, needed to be addressed. So it continues in Acts chapter 6. So the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, so they assembled the whole church, everybody, the, the leaders of the church and the congregation to deal with this issue openly. And the apostles, the 12, they said, it is not pleasing to God for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, select from among, from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this need. So they, again, the elders of the church, the leaders of the church met with the congregation and clearly spelled out what the plan should be. And they, uh, Paul, you know, uh, whoever was speaking for them, most likely Peter, saying that it's not pleasing to God for us to not study, continue to study the word of God and pray and, and minister and preach. That's what God has called us to do, to, to, to deal with these um, to serving of tables or serving food. So they said, take brothers from among you, select them as a congregation, select these men who are full of wisdom, full of the spirit and have a good reputation to serve the body and be put in charge of this need. So the apostles continued and said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the service of the word. And this word pleased the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Tim, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these, stood, and these they stood before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to multiply greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So they had this issue in the church. There was partiality in the church. They brought it to the leaders. The leaders brought the whole congregation together and spelled out exactly what should take place. And the congregation, hearing the wisdom of the elders, agreed to that. And they said, okay, that's great. Let's choose these seven men who have a good reputation, full of the spirit, full of wisdom. We're, gonna, we're going to select them to handle this matter, which they did, obviously, because the whole word, the word pleased the congregation. They, and they chose these men and, and the issue was resolved from there because there was a clear meeting of the minds from the elders to the congregation all coming together to work this issue out. And there's a clear direction of what they should do to solve this problem. And since this problem was solved, the church continued to grow and it continued to expand and they continued to multiply in Jerusalem. And even many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So many of the more stronger, op stronger opponents to the faith uh, that was being preached by the Jews at that time, the faith in Christ, uh, more Jewish priests were coming to be to becoming obedient to the faith because the church grew and became strong as they dealt with this issue together from congregation to eldership as a body and clearly spelled out exactly what the plan should be after dealing with this issue biblically, obviously. Another example of uh, what you, of, uh, how conflict in a church or bad things in a church can lead to a good thing as it gives opportunity for correction and improvement in church governance and or the clarification of a doctrine. In this instance, it will be clarification of a doctrine and we'll, and we'll go to Acts uh, chapter 15 in this, where it says, Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's a pretty strong charge. Unless you are circumcised, you're not a Christian. And when Paul and Barnabas had not a little dissension and debate with them, the brothers determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem, the, the apostles and elders, concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, recounting in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brothers. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sects of the Pharisees, who had believed, stood up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Both the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter, and after that there had been much debate, 
Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in, in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of God, would hear the word of the gospel and believe. So Paul goes into, or Peter goes into this dissertation about how God chose him to speak the gospel to the Gentiles and that, and really explains that we have believed, in verse 11, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way as they also are. So Paul, Peter was making it clear that. The Jews and Gentiles, those who kept the law of Moses via circumcision or who and those who didn't, the Gentiles, they were all still saved the same way by the grace of Christ through faith in his name and in his death. It had nothing to do with uh, keeping the law of Moses to earn your salvation. That was that was a false uh, statement, a false, uh, a false teaching, so to speak. So James uh, in verse in verse 13, he says he's after everybody stopped speaking, him being kind of the elder in the midst, he said, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written. After these things, I will return and I will rebuild the fallen booth of David and I will and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. So James goes on to say, I judge that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from sexual immorality and from what is strangled and from blood. So this was the resolution of this matter. There was a huge, there was debate. So both sides were being heard again, going back to that Proverbs 18, 13 and, and 18, 17 principle of hearing both sides, allowing both sides to kind of debate their issues and, and talk about it and then come to a resolution on, okay, no, this is what needs to be happening. We're just going to write to them that they, have, they write to these Gentiles that are, that are being saved, that they don't have to get circumcised, but they do need to stay away from sexual immorality, things strangled, things offered to idols and, and the like. So they were able to resolve this issue again by coming together, hearing the both sides of the issue and resolving it in a biblical manner to preserve, of course, in this case, the gospel of Christ of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. So five reasons to be glad when bad things happen in your church. It helps you grow. It helps you grow in certain easily overlooked spiritual disciplines. It reveals the strength of your faith and that of your fellow brothers and sisters. It forces you to consult what the scriptures say to go to the scriptures and find out what they say. It unites true brothers and sisters in the truth. And it gives an opportunity for correction or improvement in the in church governance and clarification of doctrine. So if something bad happens in your church, if something ha bad has happened in your church, look back on your life and, and think, well, maybe these five things were at work and, and maybe I'm stronger for it by the grace of God. Or if these bad, or something bad is happening in your church right now, you can look at these things and say, okay, this, these are good things that should come out of this in my life and I want them to, uh, to be clear in my life. And so I don't want to waste this, necessarily waste this affliction, waste this turmoil and this controversy by, by not growing to become more like Christ in this. And if you're in a good church and a solid church that is that think that an issue like this has not happened or bad or affliction hasn't happened like this yet, then I would say get your doctrine of sovereignty in order. And just like Tal Friel says a lot, get your doctrine of sovereignty really settled in your heart and realize that God is sovereign over everything that takes place, the good and the bad, and has ordained the good and the bad for a specific purpose. So, because even when the bad happens, again, you can still be glad in that, knowing that your faith is being strengthened, you're being united to true brothers and sisters, you're, you're seeing people who are truly approved to be in leadership and those who are truly approved as true Christians or not. And you're, and you're able to grow in easily, spirit, easily overlooked spiritual disciplines, and you're able to see uh, an opportunity for a correction and governance, of, of governance within the church or a clarification of a doctrine that you probably haven't thought about uh, too thoroughly. So thank you for listening today, and I will see you on the next episode of Do Lost.